Amen. So this morning, as we consider this, this uh, passage, it's a rather lengthy passage from, from Luke chapter 17, from beginning in verse 11. If you want to follow along in your blue uh, pew Bible, you can. It's page 876, page 876. The text this morning um, is, for me, uh, one that has just been overwhelming this week as I've wrestled with this text. It has um, worked on me in an unusually uh, just unsettling and profound way. I just, I never get over how Jesus is so different from uh, what I expect him to be. Disturbingly different, unsettlingly different in how he challenges and exposes me, and yet how he welcomes me at the same time. And I, I want to present or couch the text this morning by asking this question. What kind of person is a follower of Jesus supposed to look like? And it's a question not just for those of you who are, you think, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, so that's an important question to me. But for those of you who, who are visitors, for those of you who are wondering about Christianity, is this really a thing? Is this for real? Is this for me? It's also a very important question to be able to say, hey, look, if I'm actually considering this thing called Christianity, what does it actually look like? What does it really look like to be a follower of Jesus. Yeah, I see a lot of Christianity out there in the news, or I see right-wing people who are religious do that, but what, but what is, just get it straight from the horse's mouth. Like, who, what does it really mean to be a Christian? And all, all along, Jesus has been discipling uh, his followers, he's been teaching them in the cost and the beauty of, of fellowship, of, of discipleship. And we see in this passage uh, really two different aspects that, that reveal the, the lifeblood of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Okay, and they're really twofold. Real discipleship, really re- true, lasting change that comes from following Jesus is marked by two things. It's marked by loyalty and longing. You got that? Loyalty, I'm going to use those two ideas this morning. It's a loyalty to Jesus and a longing for justice. It's an inward loyalty, a loyalty in my heart that is a loyalty, unwavering, unflinching allegiance to Jesus. But it's not just something that stays inside here. It is this something that as it looks outward, it's this longing, this deep, intense longing for God to make the world right. So a, a, a loyalty to Jesus and a, and a longing for justice. Not justice in the narrow sense of simple retribution, simple making sure somebody gets it, but justice in this broadest sense of a, of a, of a social, um, a communal flourishing, a just society a beautiful, life-giving, thriving community and culture. So let's read these words together. This is such beautiful words. Again, this is Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he, that is Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. And they lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And then one of them, 
when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to him, Rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Verse 22. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire, or you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and the light and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They will be eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until, I'm sorry, they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, and buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said, and they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Into chapter 18, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, 
when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The word of the Lord. What a beautiful uh, and just overwhelming passage in, in, in many ways. It's, it's a passage that is really bookended by faith. Where, where, where Jesus has this encounter with a leper, a foreigner, a Samaritan. And Jesus says to him, go, your faith has made you well. And then the, as we just read the very closing of the, of the passage, where Jesus promises a, a vindication for his faithful ones, Jesus asks this very penetrating question. Yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? On earth, and so again, this pa- this passage truly has to do with this sort of depiction, this this portrayal of what it, of what real faith, of what real kingdom change, of what we, or what what it really means to follow Jesus. What does it mean to be a follower? What does it look like to follow Jesus? And so, I want to just begin with uh, what, what I mentioned: two things. Really, there's a third. I'm going to sneak in there, but two main ideas that real change that. What it looks like to really follow Jesus is marked first by a loyalty. A loyalty to Jesus. A new loyalty to Jesus as Lord. Okay? So, and it's a loyalty that is not merely with our lips. Look back in chapter 17 to verse 13. Jesus is traveling along. He's going to, um, to, uh, to Jerusalem. And it's there that he... Um, he encounters these ten lepers. Of course, they're standing from a distance because of the impurity, the contagiousness of the skin disease. And, um, and what do they do? How do they address Jesus? They say, Jesus, Master. See, with their lips, they recognize Jesus' authority. They recognize who he is and the, and the loyalty that he deserves. But of course, as the story goes on, it ends up being that primarily their loyalty is a loyalty of the lips. They pay what's called lip service to the Lord. So their their cleansing, this is so important, gang. In fact, if you're visiting, you're new here, you're not, you're you're sort of, you you come ever so often. I'm going to just tune out for a second. This is for those who uh, come here often. This is for those of you who would say with your lips, who would look to the Lord and, call, and look to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord. Is it enough? Is your loyalty, is your following Jesus' leadership simply a loyalty of the lips? Is it simply a desire? See, what's so important to see about these, men, about these lepers is that they wanted cleansing. You can want to be forgiven. You can want purification. You can want forgiveness. You can want the things of God. But see, their cleansing was really about, what was it about? It was about convenience. They were inconvenienced by their their leprosy. They were inconvenienced by the hard things in life. So their cleansing was, was really about convenience. And don't get me wrong, there was conviction. I mean, Jesus says, go. He doesn't, he doesn't in the other passages earlier in Luke, Jesus simply heals the leper. Right then and there, whoop, he's healed. And then the person, then he says, go and show yourself to the priests. Here, he actually asks them, he says, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't heal them. He says, go to the priests. And they're all like, 
Okay. And they, they have this sense, okay, well, it seems that Jesus actually can do this. And so they leave and they go, and on the way, they're healed. They believe that Jesus has the power to change them. But at the end of the day, they're cleansing. Though they had the conviction about Jesus' power, their cleansing is about personal convenience. Now they can go back to their own community. Now they can go back to their way of life. Now they can go back to what they were doing because their leprosy embarrassed them. They just want Jesus to come and manage their sin, manage their issues. See, their cleansing was about convenience. So this loyalty is not simply a loyalty of the lips. It's a loyalty that is with their lives. With, with our lives, verses 15 and 16, right? we see that this one returns and with a great cry, that is a, there's a public recognition, it's not a private faith, this is a public recognition with a great cry, this, this Samaritan glorifies God and he falls on his face. See, that's this full-bodied uh, of loyalty. This, he falls on his face at Jesus' feet and he gives and he thanks him, he gives him praise. See, for this particular person, cleansing wasn't just about convenience. It was about communing with God. It was about communing with God. It was about actually knowing Jesus, returning, giving thanks, wanting to fall at Jesus' feet, saying, my life is yours. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for the courts above. So this cleansing is not just about, yes, is it convenient? Yes, is it life-changing? But it's true allegiance, true loyalty is about wanting to commune with Jesus. See, there's something very, for me, I'm, I'm all about efficiency. I want to get things done. I want, I want to wake up in the morning. I want life to be different for the time. I want the world to be a different place by the time I go to bed. And, and this, what, what, the, what, this, what, the, uh, what this particular leper does, he comes back, and all he does is worship Jesus. I'm thinking, oh, we got stuff to do. But see, at the end of the day, Christianity is about that. It's about simply savoring our Savior. It's about simply knowing him and delighting him. We think of the psalmist. No one's more, no one's more engaged in real life than King David. He was a king, military genius. I mean, this, this was not some armchair theologian, not some out-of-touch minister. Right? This, is, this is David the king, and he says in Psalm 27, One thing have I desired. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty, the beauty of the Lord and to behold him in his temple. Or take Psalm 63, the beautiful psalm that speaks of the sense of longing. It's just this, in a dry and weary land, he says, my heart faints for the living God. Or take Psalm 84, where you have this, this beautiful desire. The psalmist is saying that his heart, his heart longs for the courts of the Lord. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper, a nobody in the house of my God, than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Do you see this longing? It's not a longing, not simply for a cleansing that, that actually you know, enables um, a convenient life but actually enables communion. See, the thing is, leprosy prevented these men, prevented them from going where? Into the temple. If you were, if you, where did you worship? Where did you commune with God in Jesus' day? At the temple. And so was, the whole idea was that they were to go and show themselves to the priests, and they were to commune, they were to worship. That's the whole point. So the idea here is that Jesus' act of cleansing 
is an act not merely of regeneration. Think of this skin disease. We don't quite know exactly what it was. This, the, the, NIV, the most English version turns out leprosy, but it's some sort of degenerative skin disease. Where you'd, actually, you'd actually lose different body parts, fingers, noses, ears. They would deteriorate, and they would just literally come off. And you would be isolated. That The social uh, implications of the disease were just massive. And Jesus comes along, and healing is regenerative. Actually, their ears, their fingers come back. But it's not just regenerative. It's reconciliatory, that Jesus actually wants them to to be reconciled, to be cleansed, so they can go and worship the Father, so they can go and know who God is. Do you hear me, church? True loyalty, a changed life, is a loyalty not merely of the lips, but of our lives. You know, I don't know if um, you've had chance, opportunity recently to be around persons who are new to the Christian faith, but it's such a wonderful thing to be around persons who are new in the faith because they often have this sense of wonder, this sense of delight of communing with God. In fact, I can remember a, 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 a friend of mine who came to faith in Jesus, and we were actually going through a book of Romans, one of Paul's letters to the Romans. We got to chapter 8, verse 1, where it says this, where it says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and the guy says, oh, top, stop, time out. Whoa, whoa, did you just say that as a Christian, I cannot be condemned ever by God? He's like, yeah, that's right. I can't believe that. I, I am uncondemnable. There's a sense of wonder at what God had done. Or think of a, another young man that I got to know, came to faith in the Lord. He was very much an outsider, and he, he heard Revelation 21, the beautiful words that speak of, of a new heavens and a new earth. And he just, he just thought. And he said, that, the idea that this world in all of its brokenness, in all of its decay, in all of its just, I mean, all of its injustice and oppression, the idea that somehow it could all be made new, that all of the curse can be reversed, and then everything that is sad can become untrue. He was overwhelmed by that. He just, just had to stop and just soak that in. There's a sense of awe at at how God is, what he's doing through Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what leads this man to come back and to give thanks. It's this wondrous sense that it's not just about convenience, it's about communi- communing with God himself. So this, what's important to see here is that this cleansing reveals Jesus' kingship. It shows him that he is Lord over all that we fear He has authority over all things. And so it's that allegiance that's there. It's just absolutely, it's just a no-brainer. I'm going to go back, I'm going to fall on my knees, and I'm going to give thanks. See, true allegiance, an allegiance that's not only of the lips, but of our lives, is an allegiance that leads to gratitude. That's what I want you to see just so much this morning. See, for me, I've come to discern that gratitude, its presence or an absence in my life, is a key indicator a key indicator about where I am spiritually. So often, if I, there are other sins of, of, of greed, of selfishness, of self-pity, of, of lust. That all of these sins actually underlying so many of those is what? It's deep ingratitude. 
when I'm self-righteous, when I'm judgmental, when I'm, I lack compassion, underneath all of that, as I have lost sight of what God has done for me. I just love that in, in the verse there where it says, when, when this one leper, when he saw that he was healed, <laughs> he actually stopped looking in the mirror and said, you know what? Where would my life be apart from Jesus? He saw the difference. He remembered. Let me ask you, what would it be like if every day this week you woke up this morning and you meditated for just three or four minutes on what your life would be like apart from Jesus? Where would you be today? Look, my life can still be a train wreck. But my life would not be a train wreck. It would be an earthquake. It would, be, it would be a hurricane apart from Jesus Christ. This man sees the difference. So this loyalty is a loyalty not of the lips. It's with a, a loyalty that involves our entire lives. And it's a loyalty that mostly comes from losers. Did you hear about that? Did you hear about that? A loyalty that is often easier for those who are the losers. Verse 16 through 18 and Luke explains, and this man was a Samaritan. That is to say, he was a half-breed. He was an outsider. He was, not, he was, not, he was, he was half-Jewish, but half-pagan. And here, therefore, he was seen as like this mutt. And Jesus says, Has, was no one found to return and give glory to God except this foreigner? So what kind of loyalty is this? It's a loyalty not with our lips, but with our lives. And it mostly often comes or is found among the losers. And that's where I want to speak to you tonight. I want to ask you this morning, I want to say to you, it is your difficult, there's the difficult things in your life, the loss that you have experienced in your life that can be the biggest way that you come to discover who Jesus really is. It is, it is in the midst of our loss that we see his brilliant reign, his triumph over all things. It's in, it's in all the ways that have gone wrong with our world that we begin to see how right Jesus' work really is. And so it's just, I want to encourage you this morning, as you look at the things that are wrong with your life, the things that you hate about your life, those are the areas of greatest hope, of greatest joy, of greatest gratitude, because it's in those that you can begin to see that God is real, that his work is real, that what Jesus has done makes so much sense. Let me just give you a one, one illustration of that. I've been, just started a, a wonderful book. It's by a lady named Hannah Greiser. I think that's how you say it. It could be Hannah Greiser, Hannah Greiser. It's called The Clouds Ye So Much Dread. Hard times and the kindness of God. And she shares about her 10-year-old son and his struggles, battles, losing battle with leukemia. And she writes this. She says, this is so beautiful. She says, Jason, that's her husband, Jason and I regularly spent several days at a time separated from each other. One of us stayed with Jonah, who was their son, in the hospital 90 miles away from our home, while the other managed the household routines. During those lonely days and weeks, however, the sturdy old truths stacked on the shelves of my memory, became sweeter company than I'd ever imagined they could. You see? So basically, it's as she's going through this loss with her son, this battle with leukemia, it's in the midst of that loss that the world would look and say, oh, you know, this person's a loser in the sense that they've lost. Look, that's, that's not the way to live life. That's not what you want. That's not what you hope for. But it's in that loss that she begins to discover how rich she really is. She goes, she, she continues. 
Um, she says, it, it was then, it was, it was as if when I was feeling particularly wealthy, if I had stuffed a large roll of high denomination bills into my pockets and then forgotten about them. But then when hard times fell and I thought I was going broke, I put my hand in my pocket and discovered I was still rich after all. I had everything I needed and it had appreciated in value. See how beautiful that is? See, when we, when, we, when we live our lives, you come to church every Sunday, you begin to gain a sense of knowledge of who Jesus is. It's when we go through the loss, it's when we're on the outside, we're marginalized and struggling, that we begin to see how precious Jesus really is. So what is real change? What does it look like to really follow Jesus? It's about a new loyalty, a new loyalty to Jesus as Lord you know, this language at the very end of the section here where Jesus, where Jesus says, your faith has made you well. This, in the Greek, that word faith can often, often actually be translated not simply faith, but allegiance, loyalty. Jesus looks at him and says, you know what? Your loyalty, your faith, it's not about the lips. It's with your life. And in the loss that you've, loss that you've experienced through your social status, you get it. And you have been made well. So the first thing is a new, a new loyalty. A new loyalty. But it's not only a new loyalty. It's a, let me say this very briefly here. Look at these, these verses here in verses 20 and 21. It's a new loyalty that really comes, that results in a new, a new focus or a new look. I don't want to spend much time on this at all, but I just want you to see here this passage where the, the, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, you know, when is the kingdom of God coming? Like they want to know where it is. And, 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 and Jesus challenges and he pushes back. And he says, you know, the kingdom of God isn't some external thing. It's not some political, social sort of change. Not, it's not first and foremost something that's outside of you. And this is where the Greek is actually challenging. Jesus translated the kingdom of God is, could be translated in the midst of you or in your midst. Or I think I'm probably inclined to say it's within you. The kingdom of God. In other words, where does the kingdom of God start? Where, as a, as, a, as a true Christian, where do you begin to look for change? You sit there, you, you watch Fox News or CNN every morning and look for change. When's there going to be change? When are our politicians going to get better? When's corporate America going to get it? Right? When, when's all this going to happen? No. You, st- you look first for change for the kingdom to come where? Within you. Amongst us. That's where the kingdom looks first. So a true, true change, true gospel change, a true following of Jesus begins with a new loyalty, but also this a new sense of a new look, a new focus. It's not just on everyone around me and when's everyone going to get it together? When's the church going to stop being hypocritical? When's, when's, you know, when we sit there and we, we just talk about, when we just get all cynical and frustrated. But, he, but understand, that doesn't mean, simply because the gospel, the kingdom starts here, doesn't mean that it stays here. Because what Jesus is to say in the rest of our passage, he says, yes, the kingdom is about a new loyalty. But the kingdom is also about a new longing, about a longing for justice, a longing for the world to look differently. See, it's a longing for Jesus to reign justly, to have, for him to reign in true justice. Look at verse 20, verses 22 and 23. Jesus says, the days will come when you will desire, when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. What does that even mean? 
See, in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, this, this picture of this, this quasi-human divine figure who is an agent of justice, who is someone who's going to come to the world and actually make things right. And that figure is called, you ready? It's called the Son of Man, or one like the Son of Man. And so the son is, this idea of the Son of Man is this apocalyptic, sort of end-of-times, eschatological character who will come with the authority of the Creator to set everything right. And Jesus is saying, you know, as you become Christians, as you continue all around, you're going to see so much that's broken. See, if you're maturing in your faith, you lose that sense of complacency. You lose that sense of, you know what, the world's fine. I'm in my, picket little, my, my, my little picket fence house, and I, everything's good. You begin to open your eyes, and you see how messed up everything is around you. And you begin to have this longing, this sense of, oh, if only it were different. And sometimes you just even hard to get out of bed in the morning because you see just how overwhelming the injustice and the oppression are in our world and how often we, are still, we ourselves still partake in it. And Jesus is saying, look, the days are coming. You're, you're going to long for, for, for me to return. You're going to long for me to come back and set everything right. See, Jesus just here is describing a longing that cares and that cares deeply about issues of justice, that follows the Father's heart. In fact, there are three times. It's not just as you can look, look in the Psalms and see this, this sense of loyalty, this sense of longing, this sense of desire to commune with God. You can also look in the Psalms and find God's heart for justice. Three times, three times in the Psalms, God said that the psalmist says, the Lord loves justice. Psalm 11, Psalm 33, Psalm 99. Easy to remember. 11, 33, 99. The Lord loves justice. So true discipleship, true change, true following of Jesus comes first with a new loyalty. But it follows with a new longing, a deep sense of longing for God to change our culture, to change our communities. And it comes with this awareness that Jesus is going to return, and he's going to return with vengeance. Do you believe that? That just as Jesus came with great compassion, with great welcome, with great love, that he will one day return in great terror and authority to judge the living and the dead And he will come with justice. And we live in a world that just so often refuses to acknowledge that. And one of the greatest needs for the church today and for our world today is to hear that we have a God of wrath. That may sound so weird to you. In fact, for those of you who've seen, you've seen our, our summer evening conversation um, topics here, one of them is called a God of wrath. And we'll be talking about why in the world is God a God of wrath, and it's a very important question. But you know, you know why we have, you know, just this is a little teaser for the, the evening. You know why we have a God of wrath? Because it's God's justice. When we know that God is just, when we know that he's going to address all the wrongs that have been done to me and to others, you know what that does? That frees me to, be, to do what? To love my enemies. I don't have to be concerned about justice. I don't have to be concerned about getting my, I don't have to be concerned about vengeance. See, now's the time where I can be freed to love because I know I've got this older brother who's going to return and drop the hammer. So I can be freed to lay down my life in love and in concern 
several, a number of years ago, it was about 12, 15 years ago, there was uh, three boys, about 10, 12, and 14, were all playing in a river in, uh, in Florida. And, uh, and we're in ways I can't understand, I don't know, I'm not familiar with this, but these boys were, uh, had seen throughout the afternoon, they had seen a number of alligators in the river. And every time they saw one, they just got out. No, <laughs> but they would get back in. They were playing around, and toward the end of the afternoon, one of the boys, his name was Brian, um, uh, he, uh, he suddenly just, you know, started screaming out, you know, as he started flailing about, and uh, the other boys kind of looked at him trying to see what was going on, and, and at first they ignored him. He says, ah, and he started screaming and yelling, and they ignored him. You know why? Because all afternoon he'd been pretending to drown and pretending that an alligator had gotten him. And so when an alligator, a 10-foot alligator, actually grabbed onto his leg and began to pull him under, he started screaming, and the boys thought he was joking. Okay? So then he was actually, the alligator actually lost its grip, and he began, he began, uh, he began to swim away, and the, the boys were hard to scream at him, and they, they were saying, hey, the alligator's over here, you've got to go this way. And he didn't believe them. He went his own, he went his own way. Because they were screaming at him, whatever, as the boys explained it, and then, sure enough, the alligator got him again, pulled him under, and they did, the boys went, they went to this nearby marina, and they called out this guy, this, this guy who was working there, got, and got into a boat, was looking all around for the, well, didn't find anything. Because, of course, if you know anything about alligators, which I, I don't, but apparently alligators, when they grab their victim, what do they do? They just pull, the, pull them under, and they was under for about 25 minutes. And, of course, you know, and died. But this boy, these boys refused to believe that there was danger, that there was a coming danger. And they ignored all the signs. We live in a world that is exactly how it is. They ignore all the signs. There is justice coming. And there's a longing for justice, but it's a longing for, for us to, 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 to be a people who are willing to step in and love the unlovable, to love the oppressor, to care for them, to long for their renewal, to long for them to be made right with God. So this longing here, I'm not going to spend the time going through some of the details here, but it's just the general idea here is it's a new longing, and this longing is for justice, and it's for justice from Jesus himself, from the one who's the Son of Man, not a longing to take justice into my own hands. And it's a justice, it's, it's a longing that, that leads to a deep care about the world around us, a longing, let's, let me just point out just one, 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 one aspect here, and I, I want to, we'll finish up here. So it's, it's, it's a longing here that actually cares less about our own things. Look there in verse 31. I'm just going to point this out because it's just a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a longing that cares very little about, about our own possessions. Verse 31. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. And there's that poignant sort of, that, that, that statement, remember Lot's wife. Let me ask you this morning, how important is this world to you? How important is the, are the things of this world to you? Would you say that you're a person who, yeah, you're grateful for Christianity, and it's, 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 you know, it's good, and this is the things I've got, but you really miss your old life. You envy non-Christians. You envy the world. You think, ah, oh, man, I wish I could just have you know, one foot in each. Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. And Jesus summons us to a loyalty, an undivided loyalty. Not only undivided loyalty, but a, 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 a perpetual, persistent longing 
And it's a longing, let me just finally add here, it's a longing that never loses heart. So it's a loyalty, and it's a longing, but it's a longing that never loses heart. At the very beginning of chapter 18 here, we see this very simple parable that Jesus gives of this, this judge, this, this, this unjust judge, and this widow. And this widow, she gets it. I mean, she understands that, uh, she understands the idea of persistence. And she refuses to get up. There's this faithfulness, this tenacity, this, this belief that justice will one day come. And Jesus uses this wonderful argument. He compares God to this unjust judge. If, if even an unjust judge will one day grant vindication, surely God, who is just, will indeed grant vindication. So let me ask, let me just challenge this by, by way of closing here. Let me just ask you a few really important questions. Where is, what, is, what, is, what does grumbling look like in your life? What does gratitude and grumbling look like in your life? Is, would you say your life is marked by a why me, God? As in, like, I can't believe you do this to me. Or is it why me, God, in the sense of, I can't believe you saved me. I can't believe you've rescued me. Is there grumbling or is there gratitude? Is there a, a painful awareness of, of the, 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 the Grand Canyon that exists between what I deserve and what God has actually given me? Is your, marked life by, is, your, is your life marked by gratitude or by grumbling? Is it marked by cynicism and superiority with words that cut and hurt and just sit there and whine? You know, as parents, one of the three have like, they're, 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 parenting requires great patience, as you all know. But there are two areas where Sarah and I just, we just, there's no patience, we have no patience for. That's lying and it's grumbling. There is no place for grumbling in the Clark household. And our kids know that. And when, I, when, I, when our kids grumble, we, 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 I mean, we, we, we address the issue, we address it very strongly. But you know what? At the end of the day, it always makes me think, where did my kids learn to grumble? Who'd they get that from? As a dad, as a husband, am I in my home a, play, a man of joy, a man of gratitude, a man of great thanksgiving? So first, let me ask about grumbling and gratitude in your life. And second, let me ask about, about a very simple idea of, of longing. Do you, do you, is there a complacency in your life that cares for nothing, that cares nothing for justice? A complacency that is prayerless. See, the thing is, if you actually begin to care about issues of justice, if you care about abortion, if you care about uh, racism in America, if you care about all the social issues that are facing us, if you, if you begin to care about those, you will immediately realize that they are way bigger than you. And it will lead you to two places. Either it will lead you to cynicism and doing nothing, or it will drive you to your knees in prayer. And that's what Jesus closes with, this beautiful parable, this very simple, a woman, a widow, one of the quote-unquote losers of society, crying out to God. So let me ask, grumbling or gratitude, complacency or concern about issues of justice? Brothers and sisters, what does it look like to really follow Jesus? A new loyalty, a loyalty to Jesus, and a new longing a longing for justice. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love Jesus' words here. We just love how he calls us to something so much bigger, so much greater, uh, so much more uh, involving. He calls us to lose our lives, to lose all control, to lose all personal preference, and to find that there is one who is in control, whose ways are so much more beautiful, whose ways are so much more costly so much more counterintuitive, so much more countercultural, and yet so compelling. 
so beautifully uh, ennobling. Father, I pray for us as a church, as a good shepherd, that you would give us that loyalty, a loyalty that lays in our lives. You give us that longing, a longing around the, for the world around us to, to be made right, and a willingness to simply lay down our lives, to lose in the struggle, to lose in those culture wars, to lose uh, in, lo- in, in loving our neighbor, to be misunderstood, to be hated, to be persecuted, to be caricatured, to love our enemies just as you have. Lord Jesus, you came and you laid down your life for your enemies. You laid down your life for us. Father, who are we? Who are we? Who am I? Marked by hypocrisy, by self-righteousness, by comfort, a love of comfort, Oh, Lord, please, would you rescue me? Would you redeem me? Would you renew me? Would you renew us? Would you give us that loyalty? Would you give us that longing that we share together that every Sunday morning that we would come here and we would gather, united by a common allegiance, a common loyalty, united by a common longing to see your world, to come alongside you in righting your world and redeeming and restoring her to her former glory. Oh, Lord Jesus, Renew us into your likeness. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's stand and sing the Lord together. Rise and perish, God endures.